Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days Just representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better While balancing running with the rest of their lives And that description is exactly how I would describe Matt Choi, today's guest A fascinating guy, former college football player who is now doing some really interesting things in the endurance running community, especially during COVID. I mean, that's really when, as you'll hear, when he really dove into running and he is doing so many interesting things and he's documenting all of it. I love following him over on Instagram and uh, he's just an awesome guy. And this was a really fun conversation. Before we get into it, I do want to highlight body weight power by strength running. So Jason Fitzgerald, who's on the episode 423, came on and talked all about his new program, Body Weight Power, which I thought was really interesting. And Jason is so knowledgeable, and so many people here want to get into strength work, but are either, you know, don't have time to get to the gym, or they're a little intimidated about going to the gym, or they're just, that's not their thing. So finding a body weight plan that can still make you stronger and a better athlete has been a big thing for a lot of folks, and Jason knows that as well as anybody. So go check out strengthrunning.com forward slash body weight. Check out the two different plans that he has. They're absolutely fantastic. And you can save 20% by using code rambling. That's rambling, all caps, at checkout. Save 20%, which is a huge number, and become a better athlete. You know you want to do that anyway. So let help let Jason help you be the runner that you want to be with body weight power using code rambling, all caps, at checkout to save 20%. Now, let's get into the podcast with Matt Choi. All right, we are here today with someone who I love following on Instagram so much, Matt Choi. Matt, welcome to the show. What's happening, Matt? It's honestly a pleasure to be here. I'm super excited to chat. This is going to be great. All right, so I don't usually go chronologically. We're not going to go completely chronologically here. That's super boring, and and there's just so many good things to talk about. Uh, But before we kind of touch on your entree into athletics and running, because I think it is important, let's just set the stage for some of the crazy things you've been doing the last three years. Can you just give me a quick little, like, one-two about, like, some of the events and stuff that you have done? Because I think it's important to know this before we start diving into how you got into the sport. For sure. For sure. I mean, I appreciate the intro. And yes, I mean, some of the crazy things I've done, um, I guess we'll start kind of, you know, 30 days in a row. I start with the Mike Murphy challenge, which if you don't know the Mike Murphy challenge, it's, it's, you know, typically done on Memorial Day, one mile run, 100 push, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, another mile. I ended up doing that for 30 days in a row. And typically it's done with the weighted vest. I've also done marathons, 50 mile ultras, 50 K ultras, um, a hundred mile ultra, as well as the David Goggins four miles every four hours for 48 hours. I've done that two times successfully. And then another time where I kind of, you know, dealt with an injury, still completed the challenge, but I wasn't able to complete all the mileage. But those are some of the crazy challenges, Matt, that I've done over the years. And, you know, previously before that, I was a college football player. I played division one football up at Monmouth University. And that has always been kind of like a staple for me of being a student athlete. And, you know, football was a big part of my life, you know, previously. Wow. So that's a lot. Those are a lot of challenges. Obviously, you must have been running for a long time then, right? I wish, man. I wish that was the case. I mean, obviously, you know, being an athlete in my life, it's like running plays a part, but endurance running, not so much. Not so much indeed. This is very true. So you graduated college in 2016. Like you mentioned, you played football in college. So take me back to kind of your formative years as a teenager and athlete. 
Obviously, you were an active kid if you played college football, but what were some of the things that really got you going in terms of your athletic pursuits and things that you really wanted to either goals that you that you wanted to achieve or just the, the strongly held interests that you had? Hell yeah. I mean, I think, you know, really where it started for me, Matt, was that my parents split when I was super young. So I had an older brother who's three years older than me. And, you know, we got raised by a single mom. And, you know, at the time, my mom was like, I think for her, it was like struggling. It was, it was a struggle to almost find male role models for us in, in just in life in general. And I think sports was a great way to find, kind of get us into a community, as well as for us to have coaches and other mentors that we can have in our lives that can kind of fit, shape into that father figure role in a sense. And it all kind of started with soccer. And then I kind of, my mom was like, you know, that's an easy sport for young kids to play. But me and my brother had a big interest in playing football. And she was a little bit nervous as an Asian mom to put us into, you know, more of a physical sport. But she ended up letting us play flag and it kind of spiraled us into, you know, getting into tackle football and things of that sort. And, you know, over the years, we've really found a, a passion for it. And, it, you know, both of us kind of having our own success stories within football itself. Um, you know, I moved around a lot as a kid. So I've always, me and my brother, both of us, I think really pride ourselves in being kind of like, you know, adaptable and like, you know, the ability to make new friends and new environments. And if you can do that at a young age, it makes it a lot easier as you get older to, you know, relocate to a new city and, and not be so scared about it. But I think, you know, my mom getting us involved into sports early on was like a big, big staple for us. And, you know, it kind of, you know, created a love for for just athletics in general and that pursuit of of chasing something. All right. So wh where and when did you do your moves? Was it all pretty local or were you kind of moving all around? Um, yeah. So I started, I, I grew up in New Jersey. So kind of grew up Jersey, New York City, uh, kind of just both kind of my dad lived in Queens. So I kind of lived that like city life during the weekend, uh, suburban life during the week with my mom up in New Jersey, Bergen County. And then me, my mom, my brother ended up driving to Las Vegas, actually, because my mom had a new job opportunity in Vegas. I was seven years old, moved to Las Vegas for about five years. And then my mom was dating someone at the time. Um, when I was about 13 years old, we ended up moving to Maryland, which I stayed at for the next nine to 10 years um, until I went to college back at Monmouth University back in New Jersey. So kind of like, Matt, that like that that kind of East Coast, West Coast, back to the East Coast was a big kind of pivot. And I think me and my brother, um, my brother, I think, had a little bit more of a struggle with it because he kind of moved in between high school where it's a little bit tougher when you're kind of formulating your bonds and relationships um, versus me. I kind of had an opportunity to have four years at the high school that I ended up going to in uh, Montgomery County. No, that's great. And what about football really drew you in? You know, it's, I think at the time, I was a big, big time Michael Vick fan of the Atlanta Falcons. And, you know, this is right before all his dog fighting situation. This and is that when he scandal. was the best Madden football character of all time. Matt, by far, right? Me and my brother are playing Madden and, and we're playing NFL Street. And he's obviously one of the most fun players and, um, you know, just very exciting to watch in that sense. And that kind of like that allure of him and just his stardom kind of drew me in. But I tended to find myself enjoying the sport of football more than soccer. Like, you know, soccer, obviously, you have that component of using your feet. And it's a great sport just in general and a, you know, very athletic sport. Um, but something about football, like, I always found myself, Matt, like, throwing the ball to myself and, like, going out to go catch it. And, like, I don't know, something about, like, utilizing the full body as well as, like, there's there's a mental side of football as well. Like it's it's more it's like there's X's and O's. There's understanding schematics and defenses and things like that of that sort. And it just came more natural to me, I think. And I just I tr I thoroughly loved it. Ever since I started playing flag, I just had a love for football, and it kind of just spiraled into 
um, that for like the next 10 years of my life almost. That's some nice wordplay there as well, <laughs> spiraling. Um, so no, that that's fantastic. So you're 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 decide that you want to play football in college. You end up decide you end up going to Monmouth, which is pretty local to where you are over in Long Branch, New Jersey. You lived in New Jersey for a little bit. Now you're in Maryland. It's all very close together. Um, and even Philly. You, you mentioned you know Michael Vick ended up playing in, in Philly, and you were kind of in that same area around that same time. When you went to Monmouth, you had some injury history there, and you know, you're playing you're playing Division One football. Obviously, Division One is it's kind of split into two categories. You're kind of at the lower end of the Division One scale for football. People who don't know the the, the rankings there. With that said, you kind of have the up and down like, nature of the injuries and like the playing time and all of that. Playing for four years or even five years in college, if you're redshirted, can be a grind, and a lot of people don't make it to the end. For you, where where was the attachment to once you got there and you're fulfilling your dream, but it's not maybe quite going the way you want it to go? What kept you in the mix and to keep it going while you were there? That's a great question. Um, I think really, Matt, is like I try not to like negotiate the goals I set for myself. And like, you know, college football was like, I mean, Matt, it, it was up there when I was in high school. Like, that's all I strive for. Like that, my goal, like I didn't care about school. I, didn't, I mean, I knew that school was going to be a, a facilitator to help me get into college as well. But like earning a college scholarship was kind of like my North Star. You know, it wasn't even to go play in the NFL. It was like to earn a college scholarship because I knew that my parents were going to have trouble, you know, paying tuition for me. And if I didn't earn a scholarship, like I knew that my future would have been, you know, Montgomery County College, you know, kind of going to the local community college, which look, there's no, like nothing wrong with that. And I think everyone has a path on this earth, but I just knew that like, I wanted to double down on this, on the skill set and strengths that I had and the interest that I had and earning that scholarship was like, Matt, it was, it was a great day, but I also knew that like just earning it, just getting there wasn't going to be enough. Like it was going to be the fact that like when you do even get to the university, you get to the next level, like it's then like showing the coaches that like why they they brought you there, right? It's like almost like proving them right. And, you know, as I battled through those injuries, Matt, like I almost went through my own mental like struggles of like, damn, like, am I going to be the same player? Like, am I going to be able to prove my worth and my value? Because I always had a chip on my shoulder. Part of it being an Asian American football player, naturally you just have that. But I also felt like early on I, I was making enough plays and I, I felt like I proved my worth to our coaches and our team. But there was a lot of seniority, some politics got into play. And I think, you know, the things that I take accountability for is like, I could have chose better actions and had a better relationship with my coaches versus being that player that was kind of like salty that I wasn't getting my shot or salty that I wasn't getting my opportunity. And I felt like I could have done a better job of like just being unselfish and being a better teammate and specifically to my coaches, not necessarily to like the other receivers or teammates, but I felt like I had like spite against my position coach because I wasn't getting the playing time that I felt like I deserved. And and I think there's like stages and levels of of athletes. And, you know, at times we come in thinking we're hot shots. And I think that's the biggest struggle that a lot of high school athletes have is like, as soon as they get to the university, Matt, they want to start. Like you want to, they want to start as a true freshman, let alone there's some guys that are 24, 25 sometimes because they've played or they've transferred multiple times. And they're grown men and you're still kind of coming in trying to figure your stuff out because the speed, the strength, all those things kind of play, are, are, they play a role. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, for me to answer your question, it came back to like, I knew what I came here for. And I knew what I signed up for and I wasn't going to allow some adversity stop me from achieving and, and, and setting the goals that I, I, I kind of had. 
Now, obviously, there's a lot of skills involved with being a wide receiver from a route running perspective, from knowing the playbook, and from just from catching the ball perspective, whether you're you know catching with your hands when you're open trying to get upfield or catching it in traffic and, and shielding people off and just the tips and tricks that come with the, the position. With that said, especially on the offensive side of the ball, it's probably the position that requires athleticism the most in terms of what it takes to succeed. So, so just from a preparing yourself as an athlete, what were the, some of the things that you were doing to make sure that you were as fit as possible, strong as possible, and just as, as athletic as possible to set yourself up for success? 100%. I mean, I think, you know, it was a mixture of a couple of things, you know, one on the strength side, Matt, like I had uh, me and my a teammate that I played college football with, we actually went to high school together and we had a strength coach growing up just throughout, throughout my high school that, that would always do like, you know, off season, like strength programs with us. And for me as a receiver, I was always like kind of like the scrawny guy that was skinny. Like, you know, me in the weight room was back a couple years ago, like was a struggle for me. And like, that was a weak spot for me. And I knew that going into college, like I'm going to need to like one, not only be durable and strong, but also kind of have like, you know, reliability and, and, and to stay healthy. And like, these things are all important as a football player, as an athlete in whatever you're doing. I think incorporating myself with like getting really big into the strength side was a big help. But I did notice even for myself, like, I think I kind of lacked some of the skill sets like on the field. And I wasn't paying as much attention to those things because I was so focused on like, oh, shoot, I'm about to go against guys that are 15, 20 pounds bigger than me. And I think I was almost too locked into the strength side. I think for skill set positions, like like receivers, running backs, defensive backs, like there needs to be a mutual understanding that strength is important, but the footwork and the agility and the athleticism on the field still needs to be the primary mo- like movers, right? And I think everything else, it's added on. Like you shouldn't ignore strength training, but it should just be an additional thing. But in terms of like the, the que- answer your question, the mixture of strength training and then also utilizing trainers in my area that were more kind of like, you know, skill set development, speed development, acceleration and, and and things of that sort. I tried my best to kind of conform the two. And I think over my four years as a student athlete, I found myself, you know, each offseason trying to work on things that I wasn't like, that great excelling at. Right. Especially on the field, like whether it was like working out releases because I was struggling to get off releases on the line of scrimmage, or if, if, if I felt like it was strength or whether it was conditioning, um, I always try to work on small parts of my game that hopefully in the long run of a season can actually pan out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And when did it start to progress for you in terms of you're working with these strength coaches every day and you're trying to utilize, okay, I want to learn from these people. I want to be the best athlete I can. Then all of a sudden it morphing potentially into, all right, not only do I want to learn from them so I can be a better athlete, but I want to learn from them so I can do what they're doing someday, which is kind of what you're up to now. 100%. That's that's actually a great question. Um, I, I think I've been a sponge my whole life, Matt. Like, you know, whether it's been around kinesiology, whether it's been around being a trainer or, you know, finding modalities to help progress or progress movements. I've always liked to understand why I'm doing something, right? Like, even if it's as simple as like, oh, like, is this exercise, like, why am I, like, what is this exercise developing? Hamstring strength, mobility, you know, is it a quad dominant movement or, or things that, so where I wanted an idea of like, if I didn't have you as a trainer, how could I actually do this on my own? So I felt like being a student athlete and like really being a practitioner in that, I wasn't necessarily teaching anyone at that moment, but I felt like I was learning from 
trainers, from assistant coaches, from, you know, coach, like whatever it might have been, I'm always learning new things that I could like implement into my own like routine in the off season. Or like in college, I started training some like kids from my local church and the kids that I just knew that were coming up in like the middle school, you know, elementary school programs. Um, and I found myself like really enjoying that process of like helping other people achieve their goals. Right. And it wasn't like at that moment, I was not even a certified trainer. I was kind of just like a football player that, you know, had been very disciplined. And, you know, for parents, they see that and they're like, first of all, Matt is Asian and he's playing college football. So like, that's like already like kind of like something that's not so common. And I think for for kind of the selling point that I had was like one, it would it was almost more like a mentorship. Right. Like, you know, parents that were like, hey, my son's not doing so well on the athletic side. He's crushing it in academics. But like, Matt, could you just kind of show him like a couple of things, like how to work out properly, how to how to run like X amount of drills or or certain routes. Right. Whatever it might have been. So I almost didn't even realize that I was doing that in terms of being a sponge to then regurgitate that same information. But it almost just came natural because I loved it so much that it was just like, oh, shoot. You want me to tell your son how to do this too? Like, I'll more than happy to do that. So it just came naturally. I wasn't even realizing like, oh, I'm going to go be a trainer after I'm done playing football. It's just like, I just loved what I was doing. And it happened to like, then translate into an actual skill. Yeah, absolutely. And even if things aren't like kind of a one-to-one scenario, like for that, obviously, like there is a job for that. So you can kind of morph into that. And even for other things where maybe it's not as obvious, uh, especially after the fact, um, there are so many ways to kind of piece together some of these things that we're doing and have them form a, a potential job, right? I, I pointed this out on the podcast before, like for me, like I do this as a living. With that said, before this, I was recruiting all the time for athletics and for admissions. And I was talking in front of high school kids all the time and doing all this stuff. So all of a sudden, I, that morphed into fundraising. So I was just talking for a living and asking a lot of questions for a living. It was like, all right, like you wouldn't draw it up as like, all right, this is how to become an interviewer. But it's like, <laughs> it worked out. And it's just kind of, it's kind of funny after the fact. So we're, we're kind of taking the long road here to getting to you as a runner, kind of setting it up as like, hey, you're, you're obviously a fast twitch athlete who, who's working hard, getting stronger, but really doing in some ways from an athletic perspective, the opposite of what you are currently doing. So let's talk about that transition and, and just the genesis of it for you where you mentioned you know, the, the Murph Challenge which is an exhausting thing, but that could have easily morphed into like, all right, now I'm going to do, I'm going to focus on CrossFit or I'm going to focus on OCR, right? There's a lot of people who do the Murph. However, there's not a lot of people who take that as a springboard to ultra running, which is kind of what you did. 100%. I mean, I think, you know, there was a mixture there. I mean, obviously this all happened during COVID, Matt. And like people get shocked that when they, when I tell them that, like I wasn't running that much prior to COVID, but once the lockdown happened in the Northeast, like, you know, it was a legit lockdown. I mean, your, your gyms are shut down. Like there's no, at that point in my mind, it goes to like, what can I do where there's no excuses? Like, what can I, like, how can I actually move my body continually? And I had neighbors, I had people all around. Like at that, when, when lockdown first happened, I felt like people had, they went two routes. Like one, I'm going to like kind of drink my sorrows away, kind of get into that lazy rut. Or there's a really, a lot of extra time to, one, really take full control of your personal health. And our health is the most, it's the biggest asset that we all have as humans, right? Because at the end of the day, if we wake up not feeling good or not feeling good about ourselves, how we look, how we feel, like that kind of spirals down into how we are as, as humans, as a father, as a son, as, as whoever. So it started there. 
And as I was like, kind of like, all right, well, Matt, like, what can I do to kind of challenge myself, push myself outside my comfort zone? I was reading Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. And obviously, you and Goggins, like everybody else, I think that's, I think that has the most reviews on Amazon of like any book. And he like self published it, which is so funny. And it's, it's amazing. And, and I'll tell people like, you know, that book is an amazing story. And you can read that book and, and take some bits and pieces of it and apply it into your own lifestyle. You don't have to go run 100 miles to get the effect of what that book talks about. I tell people and all the time, if you're going to read that book, you have to read the last chapter. 100%. Because if you don't read the last chapter, then it's so easy to poke holes in it. Because like he pokes holes in the whole story himself in the last chapter. So make sure you read the last chapter. Maybe you read it first. Because that it sets the stage for like, you know, the whole time you're like, this guy is nuts. I would never do that. I would never do that. He goes to the last chapter. He's like, oh, you shouldn't do it the way I did it. This is just a wild story. <laughs> of course. But like, I think for me, Matt, it was like, one, understanding that, right? Like that everyone's battle is different. And like, there's no right or wrong way to do it. But by doing something, it can enact change. And throughout that process, like, you know, obviously I've been into entrepreneurship the past three or four years now, building my own, you know, branding business, as well as a health and wellness coaching business. But that book really triggered something in my mind internally. And I always felt like, you know, like you said, I played college football, I, you know, I, I, at a high level, at, you know, not FCS, but you know, at, at a, I'm not FBS, but at an FCS level where it's still high competition. But Matt, there was always something internally where I knew that that was a strength for me. Football was something that came natural. Endurance running, long distance running never came natural to me. And I just found like, I'm like, damn, I'm reading this book about this guy who's, you know, used to be 300 pounds. And now he, you're, he's telling me that he was on a bike for three hours and then try to run his first half mile and all these things. And I'm like, well, like, you know, I'm wondering myself, like, what is my limit? Right. And like, how, how can I learn about, you know, who Matt Choi is in a process of like trying to test what I can do on this earth? And for me, it all came back to learning more things about myself because I felt like when I was in college and I felt like when I was in high school, like, Man, I'll be honest, I, I, when I told my mom that I cheated on a lot of stuff in schoolwork, she was not the most thrilled. And I felt like I, I, I cheated on certain things and assignments because I just would, I didn't find it entertaining. I didn't find it stimulating to me personally. And foot, when it came to football, Matt, I was willing to run through a brick wall. When it came to history, I would be sleeping. So You, you were the brick wall. <laughs> exactly, right? So when it came to this running thing, I always knew that it wasn't a strength of mine. So... Obviously, I did the Murph 30 days in a row. That's 60 miles within a 30-day period. So I asked myself, I'm like, damn, that Matt, you did two miles a day, which is an awesome accomplishment. And I just asked myself, like, how much further could I go? And that's how this whole thing started. Man. It, I went on a, I made a quick Instagram story. I'm like, guys, how far, on, how far of a run do you think I should go? And I just put like five, five miles or five plus miles. And everyone was like, go five plus miles. And then one day, I just did six miles continuous. And then, you know, the next day I was like, shoot, like, let me either match that or see what else I can do. And it just became that, like, that learning lesson of like, the best way we can learn in this world is by doing. Because we can read a book. I could have read Goggins' book and thought about all the things in my head about, oh my God, Matt, maybe one day you could run 100 miles. Well, I, and then I was just like, why not just go see? Like, let me go test it myself. Because I feel like that's how I learn best. It's by doing not by listening, not by reading. I think those are great ways to gain information. But I think to actually get the perspective for me personally, it's always been about like doing it and failing, maybe succeeding, but in that journey, like there's a lot of growth and that's kind of how it all started. And really diving into weaknesses is something that, you know, I think in the short term can be 
kind of exciting. Like, all right, how good can I get at this? But if it if it's something that really hasn't either come naturally to somebody or hasn't been a passion of theirs, so that's part of the reason why it's a weakness because it wasn't a passion in the first place. So they never spent time working on it. That long term sustainability where the inspiration fades. Right, all the the words of David Goggins start to fade away, and all of a sudden it's just Matt Choi looking down his running shoes, wondering, "Am I going to do this again today?" <laughs> when did, when and where did it switch to? This is something that you were embracing for its own right, and not as some sort of like a wonder, a wonder if or what can I do to be like this other person? Hundred percent. I think, you know, I'm very much like you know, I'm a big. Uh, What's it called? Jim Quick fan. I don't know if you know Jim Quick. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so he's the, obviously like a brain yeah, like coach. The, the brain magic and the exactly. memory and all of that. 100%. And, you know, I read his book and, and he, he asked in the book, he said, like, start asking your peers or ask yourself as I was reading. He's like, what's your superpower? You know, in this world as humans, we all have superpowers, whether it's accountability, whether it's empathy, whether it's kindness, whether it's work ethic, you know, all of us. And you might have more than one. I realized about myself, Matt, that like, you know, one of my biggest superpowers is discipline and obviously gaining some of it from the Goggins story in a, in a realm that's not something I enjoyed, but I was disciplined as hell when it came to football and whether it was waking up early at 5 a.m. workouts or, you know, making sure I was at study hall or making sure I was doing it would making sure I was doing things that would keep me on the field, right? I went to study hall because I knew I, if I didn't, I wouldn't be on the field. I maybe wasn't the most productive at study hall, but it was one of those things where I knew that like, I'm not going to negotiate the things that I want to achieve. And that was kind of like, that's like the pivot for me. It's like when I choose to attack something or choose to like dedicate my time to do something, like I'm going to go all in. Like I'm not going to be one foot in, one foot out just because that's not how I want to approach anything in my life. And like, that's kind of where for me it triggered where it's like, damn, I knew just like in the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, like he talks about mastering something, it takes 10,000 hours. And I knew, Matt, that I had not put my 10,000 hours into running it. And I wanted to make sure that I dedicated that time before I made a, an assumption of what running is about or what running is in general. Because I think a lot of times people make assumptions on things before they actually give their full effort. And that for me is something that I don't want to do because I don't want to be a headline reader. You know, like I want to really do this and like get my hands dirty and I want to I want to go through pain if I have to go through some suffering but throughout that to learn what I can do as a human and that's kind of been the journey and I don't care if it's ultra running if it turns into swimming if it turns into ironmans or whatever that this world might throw at me or if it turns into me doing yoga and like mastering that like I'm just addicted to at this point to learning because for a long time Matt I found so I was so lost in being a quote unquote football player so like now it's like, for me, it's like, I'm starting to unlearn the own limitations that I've put into my own mind. And when I choose to do something, like I'm going to be all in. And that's just kind of like where it, I don't separate it. All right. So why go with the, the endurance running? Once you kind of, once you've kind of built up some equity, you've been running for a while and you kind of have proven yourself like, all right, I took a, I took a weakness. I've made it a strength. I put in the dedication. I'm super consistent. I can now like put that part to bed, right? Now and it become, then became like, all right, what goals do I want to achieve now that I've become really consistent at this? Why did you go the more the endurance route with the ultras and the marathons as opposed to saying, hey, you know, I was a college wide receiver. I got some fast switch muscle here. Maybe I'm thinking more like 5Ks where I can really kind of burn <laughs> it up. Yeah. Um, well, that's, that, that's, I mean, you're spot on. It's definitely, you know, the exact opposite, right? Like if you're a fast switch athlete, 
it's you're, you're getting into a different world when you get into these ultra races. Um, I think kind of what drew it for me, or I guess what kind of drew me to that direction was one, obviously there's guys like, you know, Nick Bear, guys like freaking David Goggins that, that achieved some of these races. You know, I think because I was previously, you know, I played track, I, I played football, obviously I ran track and field. And I tell this story a good amount about, you know, my experience in track and I, my coach, I only ran track, Matt, to run the 100 and 200 meter, which is my strength. I'm a fast twitch athlete. Anyone who's, you know, who's in high school track knows that they will put you in every single event when it comes Matt, to like, every track. event, any event that they can see that they need help on, they're going to throw you into. I think and, I did eight events one meet. I think I think I did all the jumps. I did all the relays. I did, did everything. And, and that's freaking amazing. And I, I, Matt, I was closed minded. I only wanted to run the one and two because what? It helps with speed. And I knew that the 40-yard dash was my biggest weakness when it came to earning a college scholarship. As a receiver, if you don't run under 4.7, like you have to be very, very talented in a lot of other areas or you're just not going to get a shot at a Division One school. My junior and senior year, I was like, my coach told me, he said, Matt, like, you know, running track would be a good thought to work on some speed development, work on running mechanics, all these things. I said, all right, cool. Like, cool. I'm gonna skip out on summer fo- on the f- the spring football workouts, and I'm gonna go run track. My my track coach wanted to throw me into the 400 because he's like, Matt, you're lanky, you're six two, you have long legs, like you can run the 400. And he threw me in there. And Matt, when I tell you that, like before the race even started, I was pissed that he even forced me to do this. And in my head, I quit on myself before I even started. I ran 300 meters, Matt, and I stopped at the last 100 yard meters. I stopped and I walked the last oh, 100. God. Oh, God. Just to like prove a point to oh, be so a this rebellion. wasn't fatigue. This was sending a message. I mean, obviously, Matt, I was fatigued in the sense of I didn't understand how to run the four. For anyone listening, the 400 is pretty much an all-out sprint of one lap around a track. And it's not an all-out sprint, but it's but a it's sustained close. It's like effort. It's like 98%. Yeah, you have to pretty much hold your speed somewhat for that whole 400 meters. And obviously for me never running that, I kind of was like, oh, this would be a good time to one, be a rebellion, maybe do something kind of stupid but funny. And I just literally stopped at 300 and walked it in to basically put my foot down and say, I don't want to run this event. Matt, I got my, I got what I wish for. He never put me in the 400 ever. I only ran the one, two, and I did a couple of relays. And in that moment, I thought I was cool. I'm like, yes, I got what I wanted. You know, you know, I, I'm not going to run the four. But as I kind of re- like peeled back the onion, I'm like, damn, I'm like, Matt, I lost something that day. You know, like I, I, lo- I gave up on myself and I didn't try. Like I didn't give myself a, ch- a chance to fail. I just chose to fail. And I use that lesson all the time. And I talk about it all the time because like, we all have a decision in this world to make if we're going to give our best effort in something, if we're going to really try. And I felt, and I told myself after that moment, I'm like, I don't want to ever have that feeling again, that regret of like, damn, like what if I actually ran that 400 and I end up, you know, doing really well at that event or who knows where that could have led me in, in, in the sense of me as an athlete. But I lost something that day and I've told myself moving forward that like, I want to start to attack the things that I really don't want to be around. And the ultra stuff just kind of attracted to me. Like before I ever ran a full marathon, Matt, I ran a 50 miler. Like I never ran an, I never ran an official marathon until I ran my first 50. And it was just something about like stretching my limits and seeing what I could do that just attracted me to ultra. But I think that kind of that story kind of resonates with me fully about why I didn't lean into the 5K, 10K, because I felt like I could do that. I was running three miles, four miles here and there. I'm like, 
what's something that's really gonna push my limit? And that's why I think I, I gravitated towards ultra. All right, and we're talking about a pretty condensed time frame. Like you mentioned, this is all like COVID era. So we're talking about just a, just a few years. So in that time, you really ramped up your training. You obviously were a strong guy, a fit guy leading into it, which certainly helps just from a, from a base building perspective, not only from you know athleticism, but just the strength tolerance to handle the miles out there, um, out, out you know out there on the the road or the, the the trails or wherever you're running. I know down Austin, you have a couple of different options, but. Talk to me about the hurdles that you've experienced over the last couple of years to get to some of these major goals, whether they're mental, physical, emotional, or some combination of. Yeah, I think, you know, at first, Matt, like, you know, running is one of those things that as humans, it's just innate. We all understand how to move our body, move one foot in front of the other. But now when you get into these distances, like you have to be very specific and technical or it leads to injuries. And I think for me, Matt, the biggest issue I've always had the past two and a half years is been dealing with overuse injuries. Because to your point, I've scaled up my training, my base has gotten bigger, but for a while, like I just, I, I, I was just going out there just to go. And obviously I had some idea of some running mechanics and mainly sprinting mechanics, because in football we're sprinting, you're not really running. And that's a completely different game. Like sprinting versus running are two different activities. And I found myself trying to use my sprinting mechanics into this jogging slash ultra slash running. So you had like a 142 cadence. Exactly, right? So it's, it's one of those things where like I just, I one, I was dealing with shin splints all the time, plantar fasciitis. And like I was dealing with these injuries that I knew were because of my own form or overuse or ramping up training too fast. And a lot of this, Matt, was just self-taught. Like I would just read books, listen to podcasts. Like I, I didn't hire a coach until I got into Austin where I'm like, damn, I want to dedicate my time to run a sub three hour marathon to qualify for Boston. Like that's my goal. But, but, but before that, I was just like a fly on the wall. I'm like, I'm doing whatever and I'm listening and I'm reading and, and trying to educate myself while also being a practitioner and putting it into practice. But I always, I'm like, dude, I'm like, I felt like I was eating enough, sleeping enough, but my body was not responding to this overload of training. And I would see physical therapists and like, they would tell me like, Matt, like, we don't know. Like they're doing mobility, they're doing soft tissue work and all this stuff. And I'm like, dude, I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, like, why is my body not responding in the way? It's not healing. It's not recovering in the right fashion. And Did you have this feeling of like, I played college football. I should be able to handle this. I'm just running. Uh, Matt, there's that ego all the time, right? Where it's like, oh, Dude, I've withstand more difficult things than this. But I think the biggest thing that I made, the biggest mistake I made was I was ego running. And I would just go run and like not take any easy days. Every day would be like a tempo run or it would be like a fast workout where I'm like, oh, I need to make sure my times are getting slow, like faster. But then I realized talking to more coaches, talking to, you know, marathon runners, like most of marathon prep, most of marathon training is an easy pace, aerobic based system, right? Where you're running 80% of your runs are just easy, slow, controlled heart rate. I met, I was running like, I'm like 720 split, 730 tempos every day. And I'm like, I look back and I'm like, damn, it makes sense why I was beating myself up over and over and my body had no time to recover. And as I got into this prep, this has been the best my body's felt in the past, like since six months, since I've kind of been out here in Austin and training, I mean, this is the best my body's felt where it's like, I'm recovering. I'm still strength training a solid amount. And it's like, my body is just responding well to that training. 
Oh, that's good to hear. And how has your nutrition changed? Obviously, when you're in college, you kind of get that you get you get on the college meal plan. You're thinking, I need to get stronger. So there's, you know, for for the vast majority of college athletes who have that mindset, it's like, all right, I'm drinking, I'm having all the meat, I'm yep. getting the whole milk, I'm doing the whole thing to try to gain weight. And obviously, you're trying to be fast at the same time. So you're not just you're not simply bulking the whole time. But now that you're now that you're your training has changed significantly. Obviously, you're still lifting weights, like you said, but it's a very different sport that you're taking on for the vast majority of your workout time. Has that changed your nutrition? And if so, how? Yes. Um, well, previously, you know, in college, like, you know, we were kind of forced to like eat breakfast, lunch, dinner. Like you're kind of like, and, and you think like, oh, that's what I actually need to like have a good workout or have a good, uh, you know, practice or things of that sort. You know, now... I've obviously spent a lot of time in the nutrition space. Well, not just selfishly for myself, but also to help clients or people, um, whether it's my family or people that I actually work with, um, to basically help come up with a better, you know, health and wellness strategy for them. And, you know, things that I've done typically, like I'm, I'm a big intermittent faster. Like I don't, I typically run in the morning fasted. Um, so I don't really eat my first meal till around lunchtime. So like that was a big change for me, Matt, where it's like, I was so used to like, oh, huge breakfast. I'm talking about like oatmeal, berries and bagels with peanut butter and jelly, like eating a ton early, early, like six, six, seven in the morning, just because in football, like that's kind of how we got conditioned. Um, I started to just become more aware with how my body responds in terms of certain foods that it, my stomach and my gut kind of likes and doesn't like. Um, I, I'm not super strict when it comes to the diet. Like I, I tend to say I follow like a Mediterranean diet where I eat a lot of, you know, Fats, when it comes from oils or fish, um, I try to eat, you know, clean proteins, whether they're grass fed or t typically from like some form of regenerative agriculture. Um, and I eat a ton of fruits and vegetables. And I think over the years, like I've become so much more mindful of like what I'm eating. Now, lit for the viewers out there, like, trust me, I'm not eating, you know, just veggies and fruits all day. But like I, there's days where I'm eating cheat meals and I'm going to get Chick-fil-A or in and out And like I don't ever feel bad when I do those things because majority of the time, it's kind of like that 80-20 rule where 80% of the time I'm eating fairly clean. And then the 20%, I kind of like get, you know, spontaneous with what I want to eat. But I think the biggest thing that I changed was like not having to feel like I need to eat all the time just to eat. Like now I kind of eat when I'm hungry or eat post a run or post a workout. Um, but I think before I always told myself, I'm like, oh, you're a college guy. You're burning X amount of calories. You can eat the pizza, the cheeseburgers, whatever. Um, but now I'm kind of more mindful of like what I'm putting in my body, especially as I'm getting older too. I want to make sure that this system is sustainable over the long term, that I'm eating foods that are whole foods, not so processed foods. Um, and I think, Matt, really where it came was like, you know, my mom went through some type 2 diabetes. Like pre she's a pre-diabetic. And as I was living with her during COVID, me and her kind of tackled it together where we're like, all right, like let's actually start to educate ourselves on this as well. Because I had clients that were her age that I'm like, hey, if something happens to that to them, and they end up get, becoming a pre-diabetic. Like, you know, she went full keto and IF and it really, she lost like 25 pounds. And just seeing her go through that journey, I was like educating myself as well of like, you know, as a nutritionist, like how can I better give clients the, the strategy that will help them work in their own health and wellness? But um, that was kind of the biggest pivot. Yeah. And I wonder if it will continue to pivot too. Cause I know like there was a time in my training, in my life where, cause I was, I was running so early before work. Like I would get up at 4.30 and I'd go for my run around 5 and I'd be back around 6, 6.30 where like just to fit – like I wasn't doing that by choice. I mean I guess technically I was. I didn't have to run I guess. But like if I was going to run, that was going to be the time when it happened. I was working two jobs at the time. So like night running wasn't going to happen. So 
That's how I fit it in. So if you're only if you're going for a run half an hour after you wake up, like you're not going to be eating anything, at least anything substantial. It's just not going to work. Like no one's at least my GI system was not like robust enough to handle <laughs> that sort of nonsense. So it worked for me, but it definitely limited my potential, especially the longer runs I would go on because I just didn't have the energy in me. And now that I now after doing a ton of research as you know as well as a coach, it's like for female runners, the intermittent fasting pre-run just plays a mess with hormones for female runners. And it's like, you just, it's so unadvisable uh, for them. But, you know, it's like, it's like, I noticed that I could get, a. it's almost like, like, uh, it's almost like with strength training. It's like, you can get away with not doing it. Or like, in this case, you can get away with it, but you can kind of reach, at least I could reach a new ceiling when I started like, all right, here are some strategies to like prepare myself for like, so like, say if it was a weekend run, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to wake up later. And I'm going to do these things before a long run because I know that if I do it, it will definitely help my performance. And like, it was definitely something that for me, you know, you just kind of evolve with certain things. And, and I can say, I definitely noticed a difference once I incorporated it. No, and I, I could not agree more. I mean, try, I think more recently, Matt, like I've also gotten better with like certain supplements that I use that will can help alleviate with some of that. When, if you're tight on time. And there's nowadays, there's so many supplements out here that have like electrolytes, that have sodium, that have, you know, the things that you need to kind of push through those runs. And it's a quick solution, right? Like you don't have to sit there and make a whole breakfast, but you can drink an electrolyte drink before a run and it'll give you enough potassium, salt and sodium, right? It'll give you those things that you need like to survive a run and, and maybe even thrive a little bit more if you, versus if you just went empty stomach. Um, so I think those things too, Matt, have definitely helped where it's like, like sometimes for me, I ego run still when on my long runs, I'm like, oh, let me see how far I can go without gels or drinks. And obviously oh, in this in this Texas heat mat, it humbles me. And I'm like, I start to feel it after about 10, 11 miles where I'm like, damn, if I'm just drinking water, like it's just not enough because like, it's so hot out here. And it's like, it humbles you. Even now, it humbles me now when I try to do those things. And like, I'm always trying to be a practitioner and like try to help people because I say to do those things, but sometimes I'm hypocritical as well. Right. No, I see. Yeah, I know. I know. I can also get the sense like you're kind of like, you know, like a guinea pig in a way. Like, all right, can I, what would happen if I did X, Y, Z? hundred percent. And, and things like that. Like I have a good friend, Stephanie Flippin, who is one of the best ultra runners in the country. And she's, she's fantastic. And she's, she always laughs. She goes, I'm the person who runs their easy runs with two handhelds. Like I'm, she's like, I have handhelds all the time and she is like out there and she's like she's just one of those people like she'll run for an hour with two handhelds like you know when they see like the ranges like you should have 12 to 36 ounces uh like on an hour long run in the heat and you're like that's a pretty it's a pretty huge range like 12 to 36 ounces <laughs> she's like she's the person with the 36 um but let's dive into another topic and something that we talked a little bit offline and actually has affected you potentially i'll put you use your words not mine uh in both of the endeavors that you've pursued both football and in running, and that is just the idea of representation, right? So yeah. as you mentioned, there's not many Asian or Asian American uh, football players, uh, if at all. Uh, there's certainly a, a heavy Polynesian um, for sure. cohort, especially for linemen um, you know, out, on, out in the West Coast and in Utah and things like that. And then also with running. Right? I mentioned Stephanie Flippin. Like, she's one of the rare Asian Americans who are out there doing amazing things. Um, so what's it been like for you in terms of, Finding people, potentially people, to mentor yourself after, mentor, to mold yourself uh, like, and then conversely, 
thinking about it as someone who puts out a ton of content and who is now knocking on the door of a potential sub three hour marathon coming from the football world. Like that's, that's a huge accomplishment. So just talk to me about representation and why it matters to you and how you view it. That's it's, it's a great question. I appreciate you asking it. Um, you know, I've always kind of like, without even realizing that, like carry that on my shoulders. Cause like for me, I felt like God gifted me with some ability and, you know, not just athletically, but, you know, when it came to like, you know, work ethic and discipline and like, you know, really practicing what I was preaching. And, you know, when I played football, I knew that I was like a rare kind of case when it came to like, you know, growing up, there might've been Heinz Ward, Will Demps, like a very few select like actual Koreans, Korean Americans that were playing, but none of them were actually full Korean. So like there was not anyone that I was looking at that I'm like, I want to be like him. Like, obviously, Heinz Ward was an awesome, like, role model in the sense of, like, he's, you know, mom was from South Korea, which my both my parents are Korean. Like, those were also, like, just awesome things to see that, like, hey, someone ain't made it. I didn't even know that Will Demps was part Korean. He, he's part, he's part Korean, half black, half Korean. Yeah. So, like, I didn't even know that. Okay. Exactly. Thank, you, thank you for letting me know. Of course. No, no worries. Um, like, so I think, you know, there was always a struggle there to find people that looked like me that were doing the things that I wanted to do. And I'd be lying to you if I didn't think that like that had a role in like, you know, some of my recruitment process or even like kind of how I got looked at on the field. And I think for what I could control, I can't change what I look like. I can't change where I came from. All I could do is control what I do on the field. And whether it's someone white, green, black, yellow in front of me, I'm going to just treat it like it's a football player. Right. And same thing when I'm doing these runs now, it's like, I just love the fact that I could then be a representation of like the next generation and, you know, it started with football. Like I used to get messages from like other Asian players that like saw some of my YouTube videos. I were like, Matt, like your story helped me like continue playing this sport, even though we're not represented that much now, you know? And it's awesome now, Matt, to see the success that a lot of Asians are having, not just athletically, but like if you think about cinema, like, you know, the movie world, right? Hollywood, like seeing Parasite, seeing Squid Game, like these shows, like Koreans are now, and not even just Koreans, but the Asian even, culture. Even in the Marvel universe now, man. Right, Shang-Chi, right? So like all those things, man, like it's awesome to see. Um, and just for me to be a small kind of, you know, role model or leader in that community is an amazing, amazing thing. And, you know, for me, it's like, I want to continue that. Like, I feel like I'm still just scratching the surface. I'm still just getting started. And I hope that, you know, moving forward that I can be a part of, you know, bigger ventures, bigger, um, you know, opportunities where I can really cultivate that community and, and bring us together in that sense. Um, but when I got into running, man, like, you know, for me, it was like, I wasn't looking at certain runners, like especially the elite runners. Like for me, I got gravitated towards guys like Nick Bear, guys like David Goggins that were seemingly average Joes that just kind of started to get into these quote unquote extreme challenges. And like, I try my best not to look at it as like a race thing. Obviously, I understand the responsibility that I carry for young Asian Americans, young people in this world that might be watching my content. And I hold that, I take full accountability for that. But like, for me, I wasn't like, I didn't feel like I needed to see someone else Asian do what I wanted to do. I'm okay with being a trailblazer and doing it myself. And like, there doesn't need to, there doesn't need to be a blueprint before me. I'm just willing to be that blueprint if it's, if that is the case. And obviously, like there's plenty of Asians, like there's other Asians out there that I might not know that are doing all these great things. But if I could be the one that's like, you know, creating content around it and helping other people see it, like for me, Matt, that puts a smile on my face and it, it, it makes me feel like I can live a fulfilled life. And, you know, the people that reach out to me and the messages I get sometimes where I'm like, damn, you never know what a video or what something that you post on the, on social might do for someone else. 
And that's the biggest reward that I get. It's like people that reach out to me that I get to see you that I meet in person at races or when I'm just around, like, you know, you never know what, 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 what might impact something for someone. And that's the biggest win for me is like, I don't feel like I need to have a blueprint for myself because I'm willing to go through it my, like, on my own. Um, at the same time, like it's an awesome feeling to know that you might be able to impact someone's future, you know, whether it's in football, running or whatever it might be. Yeah, well said. No, I, I completely agree. I know we've, we've heard a lot of people talk about representation. And if you read certain books, right, like we just I just had um, an episode where I was talking to one of our monthly collaborators, uh, Carolyn Sue. We were talking about uh, Simulu's book, which was mm-hmm. great. Right. He talks about this all the time. Right. Like how he was growing up, like growing up in Canada. And he's like, you know, like, where do I fit in here? Right. Like I have like the I have the the Chinese parents who are raising me like we're back in Harbin. And yet all my friends are living this Western culture. So I'm like, I'm not getting like the societal gratification. I'm not getting the gratification at home. Like I've got nothing right now. And it was a really poignant thing to to read. And, and I really appreciate it. It, is, it. You do bring up a good point. Like not everybody needs the same things. Not everyone's going through the same thing. So while you may not feel the need to have a certain amount of representation to lead the way, you know that like, hey, that might not be the case for somebody else. So it is it is great to see you doing the things that you are doing um, you put out a ton of content, uh, predominantly on Instagram and I shouldn't say you've also TikTok as well. So when you're putting out content and a lot of it is about running and some of it's about the entrepreneurship, but it is really athletics focused. Do you kind of go through a process of figuring out like, all right, I want to talk more about, um, this topic or maybe bring it back or how do you, how do you figure out besides like, here, here's, here's what I ran today. Here's what I'm eating today. And here's why I'm doing X, Y, Z workout. When you think about more of the the, the bigger themes uh, in life, how do you kind of layer that in to what you're producing? So, you know, this is a great question. Um, and it's something that I wanted to like really attack more this year specifically because, you know, I think now, Matt, some people actually think I'm only a runner. And it makes sense in the sense of the content I push out. It's majority around running now. But like because people have followed me now like over the past two years, like most people don't know that I played college football. Like they just think that I've kind of been running in, in, in this space. So I almost feel like the the duty is on me in, t- in the sense of like coming with more creative ways to talk about my story and journey in other fashions, right? And kind of getting out of that running niche by sprinkling in these other topics. And, you know, I had a chance to meet Brian Mazza when I was with the uh, Dick Sporting Goods Pittsburgh Marathon thing. And he, I asked him, I said, Brian, like, you know, he, he's done a great job with personal branding and, 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 you know, just kind of being in this space. And he said, Matt, you know, how he sees his content is within these four pillars. It was like football. I mean, I'm not football, fitness, family, fashion, um, and food. That kind of pillared out content where you can work with a ton of different brands. You can, you know, change your messaging within those platforms. And it kind of made me realize like, I can do the same thing and talk about different aspects besides just running. Because at the end of the day, like, you know, as us as humans, we're so much more than what we do. We're so much more than our hobby. We're so much more than, you know, a quote unquote occupation. And I want to make sure that I'm conveying that message properly while also being patient in that process. Because I I understand that most people are following my content to get running advice, running tips and things of that sort. But I want to make sure that I stay true to myself to also post the things that I want to talk about because I feel like Matt Choi is much more than just a runner and there's a lot of things that I enjoy and I I do outside of the content I post, Matt. And I want to make sure that I'm also showing those layers of me as well. And I think that's kind of, I've been talking to my buddy who's helped me with my YouTube channel and that's been a main focus of ours of like, hey, 
how do we find creative ways to like not get out of running, but just sprinkle in and add new things in? Because I think at the end of the day, we are so multi-layered and multi-dimensional. And I want to make sure that I do that in my content. And it's easy to talk about. It's easy to say, because a lot of my running content, it performs better. And sometimes those other pieces of content don't perform as well, but I'm okay with that because I'm staying true to myself and I'll continue to post running content, but I want to make sure that I also post these other things that maybe are a little bit more uncomfortable, that are maybe a little bit more kind of controversial, um, where we're kind of like layering out like different sides of me. So I appreciate you saying that because like, it's easy to just be like, oh man, just keep posting running stuff because it, it comes natural, it comes easy and you know, it's what I've been doing, but I want to make sure that like, people see that there's other sides of who I am because I know that there are and there's a lot of things I do outside of just running and I want to make sure I show that. Matt Choi, someone wants to follow you, where should they go? If you guys want to follow me, you can follow me on TikTok, on Instagram, on YouTube, all Matt Choi. Um, Instagram, TikTok, Matt Choi 6. If you find me on YouTube, just Matthew Choi, you can just find my name. Um, but in, feel free to reach out, shoot me a message on um, DMs on IG. I try my best to respond to almost all of them. Even if it's a little bit late, I might send you back a voice memo. You responded memo. back to me pretty quick. That was I good. Got you. I, yeah. I, you, you know, you follow me. I don't even know where I landed in that inbox, but I appreciate it. You put out great stuff. I really appreciate it. And good luck with the marathon. I know you're, you're going for that sub three hour and you're certainly working your tail off. So good luck, my man. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure chatting with you, Matt. I appreciate you having me as a guest. Matt, thank you so much for coming on this show. What an awesome guy. Go follow him over on Instagram, Matt Choi 6 uh, He is just a really fun follow. Does a lot of video stuff and uh, just that effervescent personality and just so much fun to be around. You can really tell. Also, big shout out to Jason Fitzgerald and Body Weight Power. Go to strengthrunning.com, body weight. I'm sorry, strengthrunning.com forward slash body weight today to check out the two different plans he has to make you a better, stronger, fitter athlete and use code rambling all caps to save 20% today. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.